TED Audio Collective. This is TED Health. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Today, we hear from wellness influencer Peachy Liv. Peachy will share how she coped with her experience with cyberbullying and the pressures of social media, and why she now advocates for a kinder and more respectful digital world. After, I'll speak with Dr. Caitlin Costello, a child and adolescent psychiatrist at University of California at San Francisco. She'll explain the very real impact online harassment can have on young people and how we can protect their mental health from the dangers of social media. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab investing themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com thematic investing. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. When I was 12, I had a dream to tell 1 million young people that it is possible to close the gap between how learning should feel like and how it actually feels. All my friends went to school out of pressure to compete in gaining the highest grades, which leads to depending their self-worth on numbers, normalizing cheating, and hating school. I had this mission because I wanted young people to fight for our right to have an education that encourages us to learn out of internal curiosity instead of external pressure, and one that feels rewarding, fun, self-fulfilling, and collaborative. So I thought, if I could talk in front of a thousand people at a time, I would just need to do that a thousand times, and then I would reach a million people, right? Until I realized that I could reach millions of people all at once online. For me, realizing that felt like finding a superpower. That's when I started my journey as an educational content creator and change maker. 
So I created videos that challenged students to find the subjects they are curious and passionate about, provided tips on making learning fun, and demonstrated how technology could transform how we learn and help us reach our fullest potentials. Since then, my videos on YouTube have been viewed more than 55 million times. Plus, I've helped create social activism through my online work, starting online movements that encourage young people to speak up about their own concerns in education and share how they take action to solve them. I also became more involved with the online community of UNICEF and Europort Indonesia. As a Europort ambassador, I initiated larger projects and invited other changemakers to join forces. For example, I coordinated a workshop on digital tools and other 21st century skills to help build the capacity of hundreds of young people. I've had so many wonderful opportunities through UNICEF and Europort and my own YouTube channel to try to positively shape the world for the better. But um, I also discovered some downsides. The downsides that I'm afraid too many young people have experienced from being online. If you have a strong voice online, especially as a young person and especially as someone trying to make change in the world, there is definitely pushback. It's like by giving advice, people think you're putting yourself on a pedestal. And so people try to knock you down. For instance, one of the things I've talked about a lot is the possibility for Indonesian students to study abroad. Of course, that meant people expected me to prove it was possible by studying abroad myself. And I really wanted to. Although I got into my dream university in Canada, I didn't get the scholarship I needed to afford attending. And when people kept posting online saying things like, why are you not in Canada? That's why you shouldn't be dreaming too high. I felt embarrassed and so insecure about myself. Whether you have one follower on social media or one million, you've probably known this feeling. Or maybe you don't post the truth about your life because you're afraid to be judged. I think the first part of the solution comes from within. It starts with self-awareness. When we feel pressured by a certain expectation imposed by others, it usually indicates that that same expectation is also coming from within us. I was disappointed in myself and sad that I couldn't live up to my own expectations. I realized that I expected myself to be an excellent role model who could prove that everything is possible, which is the actual source of why I felt this massive pressure in the first place. The other part we need to work on inside ourselves is self-acceptance, which means embracing our flaws and failures as important parts of what makes us human. Through time, I was able to accept that I am allowed to make mistakes, that the only people who don't fail are the people who don't try. And I was trying to do great things, so of course, I would face some challenges, right? I think... If we all find some self-awareness and self-acceptance, then we can adjust. It is so, so important to adjust our expectations to be more aligned and realistic to our own current situation. So instead of expecting myself to prove everything is possible, now I focus more on proving that we can always learn from our failures and use what we've learned to help other people.
But let's be clear, we can't address the hardships of social media, especially things like cyberbullying, with individual resilience alone. Because worldwide, more than one-third of young people have reported experiencing cyberbullying online. And so, the other thing we must do is treat each other better in social media and online communities in general. After all, I've been attacked, criticized, and harassed even when I posted things out of good intentions. In some cases, I've received some very extreme and disturbing messages. Being bullied online feels especially humiliating because of the scale. More people attacking you online than you even know in real life. And this happens to everyone in some way online, not just to people with big followings. So I really think if we want better online spaces, we have to each play a role in creating them by committing to treat each other with kindness and respect, even when we disagree. So before we leave a comment, we should always ask ourselves, how would I feel if I were the one receiving this comment? And if you are being harassed or bullied online or offline, please, please, please ask for help and support. Being resilient does not mean we have to face things alone. We could be vulnerable at the same time, reaching out and talking to trusted people like our parents, best friends, teachers, or even psychologists. In my case, I told my parents what I was going through and they kept me strong in resisting the urge to quit social media. I also went to a psychologist to help me overcome the mental health issues I faced due to cyberbullying. She suggested that I take a break from social media to ground myself instead of quitting for good. And that was actually great advice. It helped me gain some important perspective. To be sure, there are bigger dynamics at play that require the leadership of social media platforms and the government to make sure we're as safe as possible online, especially in the case of kids. These are complex issues, and while we can work as individuals to be more resilient and as communities to be more kind and careful with each other, systemic problems ultimately need systemic solutions. These technologies are our future, and we need to make sure that future is healthy and safe for us. In the end, for me, when I took a break from social media, it helped me to really reflect on why I do this, why I use online tools to educate and engage my peers. And I realized my motivation used to be extrinsic, wanting people to be helped and be inspired. I hadn't really meant to, but by posting content for other people, I was depending my sense of impact and even self-worth to what other people thought or said about me. But now, I've realized my motivation is and should always be intrinsic, wanting to try my best in sharing what I've learned because it gives me fulfillment and purpose. There is a difference. Extrinsic motivations depend on results that are out of our control, while intrinsic motivations depend on things we could do that are under our control. We will be less likely to take external feedback to heart if we do things online out of intrinsic motivations. What we do, online and offline, we should do simply because we believe it is the right thing to do. So I have a question for you. 
What's your personal mission for being on social media? And what will you do to fight for it? I would love to see more young people becoming catalysts of change by harnessing the power of social media and do so not by sacrificing our mental health, but by being equipped with self-sustaining tools and engaging on platforms that are nurturing and strengthening for individuals and our world. I may not be going to Canada, but I am going to the future, no matter what. Technology is my generation's tool to fight for the future we want to see. It should help us, not hurt us. Thank you. Have you heard about GLP-1? Everyone's talking about this all-important hormone your body produces that helps you maintain a healthy weight. Now you've got the power to boost this unhunger hormone naturally with GLP-1 probiotic by Pendulum. Based on preclinical studies, GLP-1 probiotic is formulated with acromantia and other next-generation strains to help you produce more GLP-1. GLP-1 probiotic actually helps curb cravings and appetite, and the numbers are staggering. In a six-week consumer survey of 274 people, 91% reported reduced overall food cravings, and 88% reported reduced sugar cravings. GLP-1 probiotic is a game-changer. Go to PendulumLife.com slash TEDHealth to get 20% off your first month of GLP-1 probiotic or any Pendulum probiotic. Again, that's PendulumLife.com slash TED Health. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, listeners. This is Shoshana again. Today, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Caitlin Costello, a child and adolescent psychiatrist and associate clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of California, San Francisco, Weill Institute for Neurosciences. Dr. Costello, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me here. So social media is a normal part of the day-to-day for many people, especially teens and young adults. Do we know why it's having such a negative effect on their mental health? Is it the content itself or how much time people spend viewing the content that can lead to problems? Either the quantity or the content can lead to problems. In terms of the quantity, social media use in greater amounts has been linked to a variety of poor mental health outcomes with anxiety and depression being the most common However, the studies are complicated and don't have consistent results. And the reasons that it's complicated may be that it's affecting different people in different ways and that people's patterns of use vary amongst each other. There may be particular windows of time that young people are vulnerable to negative impacts of social media use. There may be gender differences between those impacts, the pattern of engagement, whether it's increased use over time or not, whether it starts earlier in adolescence or not. What they're doing on social media seems to make a difference in terms of the impact on their mental health. 
We also know that the content of engagement in social media makes a difference in terms of mental health outcomes. A particularly problematic type of engagement appears to be social comparison, where teens are comparing their own lives to what they see others post. And what others are posting is often a highly curated version of their lives or even an outright fabricated version of their lives. And a teen who's viewing this looks at their own life in comparison and it doesn't look so good. We can also look at some particular kinds of negative content that have especially detrimental negative health effects. An example is cyberbullying, which is very common. Uh, recent Pew Research survey found that a majority of teens have been victimized by cyberbullying at some point. Cyberbullying has negative mental health effects on both the victim and the bullies. Another type of negative engagement that leads to poor mental health outcomes is reputation damage or teens posting things without really thinking it through that are then read in a light that they didn't intend or are viewed by unintended audiences and then are there on the internet forever and can have widespread effects on their reputation, their status in the community, and along with that, their mental health. Sexting has been associated with fear and stress and shame for both the sender and the receiver. Sexting has risks that the sender may not have anticipated, like those images being sent on to lots of other people that weren't intended. When those things happen, they can be associated with anxiety and depression and even an increased risk of suicide attempts. In addition, social contagion has potential for negative mental health effects. And this can come in the form of exposure to negative mental health content. It's very easy to find images of self-harm or eating disorders or other kinds of mental health symptoms in ways that appear to glorify it. There's a phenomenon called TikTok ticks, where in the past year, clinicians were noticing that teens were coming to clinic with ticks that didn't have a lot in common with the tick disorders and seemed very unusual and happened after they had seen content on social media of other people with ticks. So those symptoms seem to be potentially socially contagious through social media. Okay, so aside from mental health issues, are there other health concerns that are linked to social media use? Yeah, a big one is sleep. Higher rates of social media use have been associated with disruptions in both the quantity and the quality of sleep. And, you know, more and more we're learning how important sleep is for our overall health. And teenagers in particular, they need more sleep as teens than they did as younger children and that they will as adults. And if their sleep is disrupted because of what they experienced on social media, they can run into all kinds of difficulty there. Another health consequence is substance use. We know that exposure to substance use on social media can increase the risk that those teens who are exposed to it will go on to use substances themselves. A big one recently has been e-cigarettes, which have been heavily promoted on social media, and rates of e-cigarette use, which has a variety of potential negative medical outcomes, have just skyrocketed in the past few years. 
Interestingly, a recent study also found that higher rates of social media use were associated with higher levels of something called C-reactive protein or CRP, which is basically a marker in the body of chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation is associated with all kinds of medical problems and diseases too. Wow, I had no idea. That's kind of surprising. It was surprising, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens with this finding and how subsequent studies bring to light and flesh out what is the association between the mental health and the physical health effects, and how are they affecting each other, too. So, Dr. Costello, an Instagram report was leaked noting how toxic the platform was, especially to teen girls. So if social media is so harmful, why is it so difficult for some people to cut back on using it? Yeah, and this report was particularly alarming to read. It's worth looking at the Wall Street Journal reporting directly to see how clear it was that Instagram was well aware of the negative impacts on teen girls. Yet why are teens still using social media all the time? There is a phenomenon of social media disorder where in some people, social media use can take on addictive qualities that have all of the characteristics of other kinds of behavioral addictions. Even in those without social media addiction though, your typical teen is using a lot of social media. The most recent survey from Common Sense Media showed that teens on average were using social media for an hour and a half a day, which I think is really an underestimate because they did not include TikTok or YouTube as social media. Those were classified as online videos, but they have all of the characteristics that we worry about of social media. That rates of just overall screen entertainment were upwards of eight hours per day on average for teens. Wow, that is so high. So even those who aren't, you know, officially addicted to social media are using it a lot. And why is it hard to cut back? Well, for one, that's what everyone is doing. The majority of interpersonal interactions are happening online for young people these days. And adolescents in particular are at a stage of their lives where what their peer group is doing is more important to them than it will ever be. We all are familiar with the idea of FOMO or fear of missing out. This is actually a studied phenomenon. In teens, it might be more accurately called a fear of being excluded by their peers. That has been found to drive higher rates of social media use too. It would be hard for a teen these days to decide they're not going to use social media anymore and still be able to connect with their peers and form and maintain relationships because that's where those relationships are happening. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So what can be done to help young people avoid these health issues you mentioned that are linked to social media? I think to help young people avoid these mental health issues is going to require the participation of really a whole network of folks, which is going to include parents, schools, health professionals, legislators, and all of us as a broader community. On an individual teen level and conversations that can happen with parents, teachers, and health professionals are to help that teen contextualize the difference between online presentation and reality, to help them make better decisions about what they themselves post online. You know, there is research demonstrating that when teens are 
making decisions more deliberatively when they're consulting with adults, they can make better decisions. So some consultation may actually help them make wiser decisions about what to post online and how to engage that they won't later regret. We can encourage teens to have offline interests and relationships and provide as much support as possible to foster and bolster those engagements. We can try to identify those teens that are suffering from things like depression and anxiety that may have a variety of types of links to social media use and refer them to mental health evaluation and treatment as needed. There are potentially some legal solutions in terms of legislation that aims to offer additional protections to young people posting online with things like requiring parental permission or requiring the sites to allow teens more control over their user data and ability to delete their data. And then I think as a broader society, we need to be thinking about what are our own contributions to social media and how are young people being affected by those, both in terms of the content we're providing to these sites, but also the way we patronize the sites and support them. Yeah, those things make a huge difference, right? Can you talk a little bit more about any positive health-related side effects that we're seeing when it comes to young people using social media? There are a number of other benefits. The research there is not as strong, but it has been found that the type of use makes a difference and positive effects or even relief of loneliness and stress. They're more likely to occur for young people who are communicating one-to-one with another person or having positive self-disclosure in the context of a mutual friendship, or having funny experiences online. That is so interesting. Social media offers socialization that not all teens have access to in person. And of course, we saw this in particular during pandemic lockdowns, that that was the only way many young people could have peer interactions at all. Social media can help develop community among peers, and this can be especially important for young people who are having trouble finding a group of peers that share certain identity aspects with them that may not be present in quantity in their local communities, but that they can find online. We have access to lots of educational and digital learning resources that can help academically and with career development and so forth. Uh, Just access to information in general that wasn't possible before the digital age. Social media use and online interaction can also afford teens increasing independence and becoming independent is one of the primary developmental goals of adolescence. And in the cases where things go wrong, access to things like crisis services are available online and the barrier to Googling a crisis service you know, may be lower and more accessible than having to tell an adult. Well, I'm glad to hear there are some positive effects of social media because it seems like it's here to stay. It's absolutely here to stay. And I think, you know, working together with a network of systems is going to offer us the best chance of helping young people engage in a way that's more positive for their mental health. Dr. Costello, it was a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's something that I'm always happy to talk about. Thanks so much for listening today. This episode was produced by Joanne DeLuna and fact-checked by Ted. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Maria Lagius, Michelle Quint, and Colin Helms. 
I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.